What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, we're continuing this conversation. How do we stay grounded in a noisy and chaotic world? And I'm I'm aiming at bringing you guests that you might agree with, you might disagree with them, but ultimately, I want them to give you the opportunity to carve out the time and to ponder on what is it that keeps you that keeps you grounded, that keeps you from getting carried away. There's so many things that can pull us away from focusing on what's really important in in life. And today's guest and visor has some amazing perspectives from her life. She's going to be sharing with us this this critical moment that her and her husband look at each other and realize maybe we shouldn't be married. Maybe we shouldn't. And what are we going to do with this? And just uh, from that, life lessons that she's learned and now that she uses to coach other people. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about Service Peace Warriors. Service Peace Warriors is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to our nation's heroes. That's right, the men and women that are returning with war-related PTSD or other injuries. Service Peace Warriors has their back. They're raising all the money. They're training up both the service animal and the veteran, and they're equipping the veteran with that that life-giving, in some cases, that healing tool of a service animal. Folks, you can you can support Service Peace Warriors without it costing you a dime. There's something called Amazon Smile. And what you can do is you can register your Amazon account with any nonprofit. And in this case, you can regi- register your nonprofit with Service Peace Warriors. It's what I have done. And every single time I spend money on Amazon, a few pennies goes to Service Peace Warriors. Please check them out today servicepeacewarriors.org. With that, folks, let's get into this interview with Ann Beiser. Ann Weiser, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thank you so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening in and I love your Marriage Mondays. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be here on the Gravity Podcast, Two Feet on the Ground. Yeah. And I love the fact that you've been flexible. What the listeners don't know is that I had to send you a message like a, two days ago saying, <laughs> I have a conflict and can we reschedule? And you were extremely flexible. Now, you, you told me what time zone you're in. It's not Eastern time. It. <laughs> Where? It's Atlantic, Atlantic Standard Time. Okay. And where, if you don't mind saying, where are you, where are you living? Where in the world am I? I am in Prince Edward Island, Canada, Eastern Canada. That is awesome. I love it. I, I was wondering though, if it was something tropical, like when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> is she somewhere tropical? Like maybe we should have done this recording, like, you know, destination recording. Like I could have flown somewhere now. I don't know if that would have worked out or not, especially with my schedule today. Uh, hey, I'm excited for us to get into your wheelhouse, the things that you specialize in. But before we do that, if you could just give the listeners a little bit of backstory on who you are. Sure. So for over 20 years, I've been 
equipping both individuals and organizations to help them communicate confidently in a way that aligns with their values. So, you know, that we're happy tomorrow with the way we communicated today. We don't have that big regret because we've said things we shouldn't have said or we handled things poorly in the way we communicated. So I'm a certified John Maxwell coach, speaker and trainer and I work with For Better Forever, which is the company that I co-founded with my beloved husband, Malis. Uh, fun fact, we've been married for 42 years and we have five adult children and I am the Nana to 11 amazing grandchildren. Oh, wow. That is awesome. I, I'm excited for that season of life. I got a couple adult daughters. If they're listening, I'm not rushing you. Take, take another decade if you need. Totally okay. But I just, I love babies, right? And I kind of have this perception, false or true, that being a, a grandparent, I get to give them back. And so mm. I get a love on them. I get all the good stuff. You know, change a couple diapers. I'm cool with that. And then I get to say, here they are. They're yours again. <laughs> so that's super uh, amazing. And uh, wow, over 40 years of marriage. I love I love that you you folks have put in the hard work because that's what it takes. That's what it takes for, for marriages to last is a whole bunch of hard work. And yes. it, communication, I think, yeah? Yes, absolutely. And and one of the reasons why I'm so passionate to equip others to communicate is because of our own story and our own struggles in our marriage. But we didn't start out that way. So I was 15 when I met him and I shamelessly chased him. I really did. I just wanted a date. Just give me a date. And then three years later, we married. And I still remember the photographer said to us, I've never seen a couple look at each other the way the two of you look at each other, because we really were crazy in love. And then I was pregnant one month after we were married and very sick. And so communication was hard. And then he was new to farming. We have a farm on beautiful Prince Edward Island and he was new to farming. He was learning from his dad and there were some challenges there. And so he often came home frustrated from work. And so we had these external pressures, but then we had these internal pressures because I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know how to communicate what was happening to me where I often felt like a single mom. And I felt like he just wasn't there because he wasn't. And his busy seasons, he's just gone. And so, but I couldn't communicate and neither could he, it turned out. And so we gradually grew apart. And so two people who desperately loved each other and wanted to be together, but didn't have the skills that we needed in order to be good together. Wow. What At what point did you come to this crossroads in your marriage where you realized you started to understand what you didn't know, or at least understand that you needed to learn more things if this was going to be successful? Yeah, the thing that we really understood was this creeping separateness, this emotional space and distance that we didn't like and didn't want. And I still remember the night that changed everything. We were sitting in our farm truck outside our favorite restaurant. We were on a date. <laughs> I don't know why these things happen on dates. And I just looked at him and I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I could see the panic in his eyes. What do you mean you can't do this anymore? And I was like, I can't do marriage like this anymore. I said, we don't resolve anything. We just keep going around and around the same old thing. I said, I'm so tired and I'm so hurt. And that night it landed in his heart in a way that opened him up instead of closing him up, which is what was happening before. And it opened him up and he started to share his pain. And I completely missed it. But mm -hmm. there it was. And as he shared his pain, 
we just looked at each other and said, we need, we need help and we need to get the help in order to get back to that closeness that we once experienced and that we know we can do. We just don't know how to do it now. <laughs> yeah. So where, where did you turn for help? The very first thing I did next morning, I went to my mother-in-law's because she had a whole library full of, of self-help books. And I, we were desperate. I, I pulled the book, Making Love Last Forever by Dr. Gary Smalley. And the very first lesson we learned from him was that conflict is the doorway to intimacy, as in into me, you see. And I felt like throwing the book across the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. I don't have to have plum no, conflict to get there. I don't want to fight in order to be well. <laughs> and as it turns out, we were both conflict avoiding. Neither of us wanted to fight. And so there were really important things that we weren't saying to each other that we needed to say to each other, just little things that we weren't being honest about in our relationship, about what we liked and who we were and what was important to us. And and it turned out that that was making creating a space because we didn't want to hurt each other. And in not wanting to hurt each other, we hurt each other deeply. Yeah. Why isn't she talking to me? Why isn't he talking to me? You know, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm trained to love yeah. you. Well, that's not loving us, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it would look like this, Chris. It would look like he would ask me, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Was there any more of this? So it started with the Gary Smalley book. Uh, what was next? As as you've read this book, as you had this this uh, this wisdom dumped on you, what was kind of that next step in in your guys's journey? So it was a journey, and I like to think about it that way, and I like to think that we're still on the journey, so it doesn't end. So there's always more to learn and more to know and more to grow. And I think that's the beauty of marriage. Um, but I, I think the next step was we had some pain from the past that we didn't know how to deal with and didn't even know that's what it was. And so he was being triggered and he gives me, I don't need permission from him, but I want permission from him to share his story. So this is part of his story. And he was being triggered in a big way and it was creating a lot of conflict in our marriage, but we didn't know where it was coming from. He didn't, I didn't. I was so frustrated with it. I basically in my heart said, talk to the hand. This is your problem. I'm not dealing with this anymore. This hurts me too much. And by my separating myself from him, he got the message that she doesn't care about me. She doesn't care about this. He really needed personal work, which we now know. But in that, I realized I made a very concrete decision. I'm going to care about this. I'm going to care about this pain, this whatever's going on here. I don't know, but I'm going to care about it. And I started to ask him questions. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What is it that, you, like, what's going on here? And he couldn't answer any of those questions in the beginning. But as I, because we had lost trust, right? He had lost trust for me that I was actually caring for him. And I had to rebuild that trust by continuing being consistent in asking those questions and care, not in interrogation, which we can sometimes do, but with care. And so as I was asking those questions, eventually he started to open up about what he was feeling until eventually it culminated with him saying, go ahead, leave me like all of the rest. And I looked at him like, hey, first of all, I am not going anywhere. Second of all, you can't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> I'm here. 
And, and it was his pain just coming out. And it was a big part of our healing to get to the bottom of that. And eventually he realized and he put a name on it and it was emotional abandonment that he was feeling. And as he started to heal from that, that moment was huge because then we could get in front of it because I started asking him, what is it you need from me? So we started recognizing the patterns of behavior, the patterns of when he would be triggered. And then we started to get in front of it. So for instance, when we would gather with a certain group of people, he'd be triggered. And I'd say, what do you need from me tonight? And he would say, just look at me from across the room. And I was like, I can do this. Mm. It wasn't so hard. It was absolutely amazing. I can do this. Yeah. I, I get I, I teach a, a, a course for Washington State uh, police supervisors first level supervision and one of the blocks of instruction is emotional intelligence and that's really what I heard you talking about there us being self-aware of of what's going on within us us being other aware being aware of what's going on in other folks and then us doing what we can do to manage ourselves and then demonstrating empathy in this case to our partner, but then it translates into all areas of life. It translates into your coworkers and your neighbors and right. I mean, just being able to listen to someone else and say, that sounds really hard. If I were in your shoes, I would be scared. Yes. Yes. It's so huge. We just came back from a trip to Costa Rica. We were standing in front of it. These communication skills translate across the board. We were, there were three people in front of us. It took an hour and a half to get to the front. And there were two people working at the desk. And one of them was really cranky. And Mail slipped at me, my husband, and he said, I hope we don't get him. And we got him. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> we came up to the desk and Mail said, you're having a really bad day today. And he just went. You just see male is caring for him and his circumstances and the challenges that he was facing that night and it helped him to relax just that care and that empathy i see you i hear you and i see the challenge you're facing right now yeah it instantly creates an atmosphere of trust i feel like right i mean even in a stranger where we don't have like a full trusting mature relationship if you will but but when people see us it validates at least how I'm feeling in this moment, right? I mean, it, it validates that that I, I I feel this way and, and someone else sees me and understands me. I think it's David Osberger that says, listening is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are indistinguishable. I love that quote. Yeah, I see that in coaching and in the work that I do and so just being able to say, I believe you. I see you. It sounds like... It looks like, it seems like, you know, that people feel like somebody cares, somebody hears me and it changes lives. It really does. Here's what I struggle with, with this, Anne. <laughs> Again, I teach this. <laughs> Jamie and I on the podcast are kicking this around constantly, right? Trying to help other people take some time to unpack their lives. I go to work and I deal with folks in mental health crisis and I actively listen to them. I show them empathy. And and I walk away going, yes, I'm a really good communicator. I'm a good active listener. <laughs> I exercise emotional intelligence. And then it's like I pack it. I, I, I put it into my truck and I drive home. And then I leave it in the truck and I walk inside my house. And I don't do any of it sometimes. Right? Like I, I, I don't actively listen. 
Someone will say something to me. Jamie, last night, we're not going to go into all the details, but Jamie last night said something to me. And instead of me just listening, which I I know that's what she started the conversation with. Hey, I need you just to listen right now. Yeah, I can do that. And I meant it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm not upset right now. I'm in a really good spot. Let's talk. She got about 60 seconds into what she needed to say. And I was not listening anymore. I got defensive and... Why? Why can we be so good at this at work or in other areas of our lives and then we come back to our home, our marriage, our family, and just totally fail at it? Like, not it doesn't even look like we know what we're doing anymore. I think one of the reasons why um, we can struggle with communication is, you know, those basics, hungry, angry, tired, we need to be in a good place to hear something. But another is those triggers. Somebody says something and all of a sudden my mind isn't here with you anymore. It's over here on this thing that you just said. And I'm still over here. You are going on on your journey and your, your conversation, but I'm stuck over here because I've been triggered in some way. And I like to see that as an opportunity. I put that in air quotes. <laughs> it's an opportunity for me to look within and I can't do it in that moment, but I need then to go to my thinking chair. I love to journal and that helps me sort through what's really going on in those emotions. So I, when I have an overreaction or an underreaction, I know it's time to do a little internal work and it is an opportunity because I think that's the way we get better. I think that's the way it's the path to healing is to recognize those triggers and then work them backwards. It's kind of like the leaky roof that we had some years ago, like the leak is over here. But uh, when the carpenter fixed the roof, it was still leaking because the water was coming in here in the closet, but the leak started way over there. And so I think we have to follow the leak back <laughs> to find the origin of that trigger. And for me, I know when I discover and when, when I help my clients discover that trigger, it's like, oh, okay. It's like this new awareness of, okay, we can handle this. We can deal with this. And then we can get in front of those triggers like we talked about earlier. Yeah, and they're just in our blinders. Like we, if we don't either either have the epiphany ourselves or go to a, a a mental health professional, a life coach that can help us unpack that, it's in our blinders. You said it a little bit ago. You didn't know what you didn't know, and until we know about it, we can't deal with it. It's like driving down the street with a a nail in my tire. It, the air is going to keep coming out. Until I yes. recognize, oh my gosh, I have a nail in my tire. Adding a little bit of air from time to time isn't going to help the long-term problem. I got to recognize, oh, I got this problem, and then ask the question, what do I do to fix it? So yeah. in let's get into your, your, your company, the one that you co-founded. It's uh, For Better, For Good. Is that correct? For Better Forever. For for Better Forever. I'm sorry. I don't know why I threw <laughs> it's okay. it. okay. I had it on my phone down here and I'm looking down. I'm doing a little podcast magic and, I'm, and I couldn't get the screen to unlock. And I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. I think I remember. Uh, let's talk about For Better Forever. It's not just life coaching. Uh, you also, uh, you said work with corporations. So talk to us a little bit about what you do with your business. <laughs> 
Sure. So I have been just privileged to go into our local jail and work there in training addicts how to have healthy relationships, how to communicate. I teach a course there called How to Avoid Falling for a Jerk. It's been written by Dr. John Vanette, but it's just, I'm interested in relationship single, like making good choices in the beginning for, because that matters for who we choose to be with for a lifetime. And then enriching marriages and then seeing women in particular, because I, I mostly work with women and seeing women then come out of really abusive marriages and thrive. And so that is most of what my work is. I've also had the opportunity to go into a local home for addicts and teach and train uh, both the staff there uh, in boundaries, boundary work, and because that's a big deal when you're living and, and working with addicts and then also uh, teach the addicts uh, personal growth, uh, 15 invaluable laws of growth, beautiful program written by Dr. Uh, by uh, John Maxwell. And then I have a membership for Christian women as well. And that membership, we talk about communication. It was really a personal growth journey is what it, the membership is all about. And so I also work one-on-one -on -one with clients and then I do this training virtually how to avoid falling for a jerk which i absolutely love this program because it's based on attachment theory but what i love about it is it's easy to think that love is hard or love is easy but there's actually a science to love and attachment and it's a system which is not very romantic but when we understand how love grows and how relationships grow then we can make better choices before during and and have better communication better relationships closer attachments in our relationships and so this program that I've been teaching it for more than 10 years, Chris, and what I love about this program is I use it almost every week. So last week or recently, we've been to see uh, three man money managers and we were interviewing them. Are we going to give them our money? Yes. It's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> right? And as I was, as we were interviewing one of the guys, I thought, okay, this guy has come in on borrowed trust. Somebody that we really love and appreciate and respect has invested with this guy. And so I am recognizing in the middle of this interview, I really like this guy and I'm trying to pull my trust up. But what do I know about him? Absolutely nothing except the, the fellow that I love and know and respect really likes him. And so I'm like recognizing recognizing this is the the jerk program this is like don't trust more than what you know about who this person is in the beginning of relationships and so i find myself using this program every week as i'm meeting new people and getting to know new people and how i choose to move forward to make wise choices in relationship so let's talk about that if you can go deeper into that because i think that's really wise uh some folks I feel like because of pressures of society, because of false information, uh, people have ideas of uh, of not wanting to offend people or, well, I, I need to let this person in. I like this, don't trust more than what you know. Uh, can you break that principle down a little bit more? Absolutely. 
And so we talk about what there is to know about a person. Uh, we want to understand, especially if we're talking about an intimate partner, but we want to understand their little bit of their background, family background. We want to understand how's the conscience working huge for relationships. Because if your conscience is working, there are things you're not going to say, words you're not going to use. There are attitudes you're not going to have have you're going to work on it when you do have them and you see that this is not helpful for relationship we're going to work on those things so that we can be a good partner and recognizing what we know when i know more about who you are then i know what i can trust and there's a lot more security in that because i'm not trusting you uh with say my money um more than what i know about you and so it it's to take time to get to know who that person is. I think it's really important to take the time. Dr. Van Epp says it takes three months. The researcher showed it takes three months before we begin to see. That's just start. Begin to see the patterns. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the patterns of behavior and the patterns of attitude. I want to know, because I'm a woman, how do they treat women? Is there a disrespect for women? Is there a willingness to listen to my ideas and, and my thoughts and opinions? And then can we make it mutual? Because uh, that's so important in our healthy relationships that it's mutual. It's not all one person. We're mutually working at this together. It's so lopsided and so hard when somebody is just bringing like that 50% to the relationship. I say it's 100%, 100%. We're going to bring it all to the relationship. And so we want to know what it is we're getting into before we trust more about who they are. And you said before, this doesn't sound very romantic. No, when we talk about the science of anything, that's not romantic. But here's the deal. Jamie and I started dating when we were 16. And I went on the zipper at one of those local, not the county fair, but one of the local ones that would come in town in some empty grass lot. And I get motion sick. And I went on it seven times. Because I was crazy about this girl, right? And I'm like... I got to impress her. Like, like I'm going to be a fun guy. I, I think I was sick for a week afterwards. But the point, oh my the point was, is back then I felt these butterflies, right? There was this physiological thing going on within me, a physical thing that I was feeling because of what was going on in my brain and this attraction that I was having with her. And it felt amazing, right? The fact is, is after 25 years and four kids, I don't feel that every day. I don't. But that's not love. That is, that is a, a chemical and a, a biological, I might be using wrong words here. It is a reaction within our bodies because of what's going on in our brain and the processing of what we think about this other person. It's not love though. It feels good. I like it. Mm. it in 25, at 25 years in, when it does happen throughout the year, whether it's a great date, a great conversation, I like it, right? It's exciting. Like, oh, wow, I love feeling this way about you. But you know what I also love? I love watching her be an amazing mom. I love watching her right now succeed at a career when she stayed home taking care of our kids for decades. And now she's excelling at being an, an educator and impacting all these students' lives, right? And it's this, I really look at it as a more mature love. It's not butterfly. It, it's not, it's not like, oh, wow. It's, it's wow in a different way, right? But you recognizing the science of what it takes to have a great conversation. Well, actually, let me back up. To have a great relationship, to have great conversations, to resolve conflict, is the recipe to 
to still have those butterflies every once in a while, I feel like. I don't know. What do you think? Am I totally crazy or are we? am I somewhere on the playing field? Yeah, I think it's totally possible to still have those butterflies and still settle into a really good rhythm together, like a rhythm of communication, a rhythm of connection, a rhythm of um, caring about each other's day to day. Um, today, my husband is excited because this is the day when he starts to cut sets, which means he's preparing the potato seed for the ground. And so it's a brand new season and there's a new excitement and a new spring in his step. So I enter into that with him. Um, I'm going to miss him. I'm already kind of grieving a little bit because I know he's going to be really busy. Uh, but I think there's a way to practice um, the presence of our partner. In So I... I don't know if you can see that uh, picture behind us. So when I hop on a podcast, that's the first thing I see uh, in the reflection here is he, there he is. And this fun moment that we had in Mexico with an amazing photographer who saw the light that was happening behind it. Every time I look at that, I get a little butterfly. Yes. And Yeah. And this ring he gave me for my 16th birthday. Oh, wow. That is awesome. And when I look at that, I think about our young love. Hmm. And so there are things that I have around the house that remind me of him, uh, that when I look at it, it makes me smile. And I let myself do that. I let myself smile. I let myself, it sounds funny, but I needed to give myself permission to feel that the feelings. Yeah. I don't think that's permission sounds... to Go ahead. just delight in him for just a second in, in the middle of the day. I think that's important. I, I sh I've shared this on the podcast before, the fact that a year and a half ago with some of the changing laws in Washington State, I really got to a spot that I was done with law enforcement and started testing for for uh, corporate America. And as I did that, somewhere in the process, I realized that I wasn't ex exercising gratitude in my life at all. Like I wasn't being thankful for the cup of coffee as I drove to work. The fact that I had a vehicle to drive to work in, like there were so many things that I was surrounded by that were blessings in my life that were good things. And I wasn't, I wasn't acknowledging them. So I decided, I don't know if it was a Monday, I can't remember. I decided I'm going to do that. And so literally a few minutes in the morning, exercising gratitude every day, Jamie told me within a, I think it was a week, my, I was standing up straight again. Right, and I felt it within me. So I love what you just said, having those icons of our marriage, uh, whatever they might be, and looking at them and going, remembering a memory, remembering how you felt, I think it enriches and makes us appreciate our partners that much more. You know, as you say that, Chris, um, when I think about that young love, this is a really funny memory. Uh, not funny, not funny to anyone else, but it means something to me. Uh, he used to visit, he didn't live far from me, and he used to visit by Skidoo in the wintertime. And his mom made this beautiful crocheted sweater for him, turtleneck, beautiful royal blue. I still remember the color. But what I remember is I can smell his scent as he came through the door. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's practicing the presence. It's just small ways to remember and let myself feel the feelings that I felt way back then. Revisit it. Uh, I just think it's so important to let ourselves, give ourselves permission in a busy world when our mind tends to be very distracted to have those special things around our house that remind us of 
a good time together or a special moment together, or a special memory together. And then to continue to be aware of making those, being intentional to make those good memories for the future. Oh, I like it. Do you have, as you help, uh, as you help individuals, do you have, is there like a common thing and maybe it's communication, I don't know. Is there something common that you're seeing in all of us, right? Is there something common that is kind of this universal thing that if we all did this thing or if we all at least went on, started on this journey in this direction, we would, a lot of us would benefit from it? I believe that we want to keep the peace and we don't want to be vulnerable and have those honest conversations. I call them pivotal conversations. I think they're the lifeblood of relationship. I think without those pivotal conversations, you can't really know who I am. And that's that first part of knowing that we talked about earlier. I think they're just so incredibly like oxygen to the body. These types of communication are important to our relationships. So the ability to be able to manage my own emotion, uh, we, we talk about the three C's of conversation, of pivotal conversations. And that first is to check emotions. I need to be able to manage my emotions when I'm struggling in that. I have tools to help manage those emotions, figure them out, what's going on, what's happening here for me, so that we can then have better conversations, speak more clearly, and even manage our emotions in the middle of a difficult conversation, prepare for those difficult conversations. They're not always difficult, but they still can be pivotal conversations that create some sort of shift or change in the relationship because it's important to me or it's important to you. Now, so check emotions was the first C. I, yes. I, I don't know if my ears picked up. Did you did you go through any of the other C's? Can we go on to those? I didn't. The second C is communicate and clarify. So in that, we teach people how to communicate well. Words are important. Words matter. And words, once they're out, you can't get them back in the toothpaste tube, right? They're hard to get back. So words matter. So in that check emotions, we're also taught, thinking about, okay, what is it I really want to say? What's most important here? Some people use a lot of words. And so that matters. And so I, I teach them to be, be concise, stick to the facts and manage your emotions while you're having the conversation. And a, another one is that my people struggle with is to be assertive. They look at, uh, I, I primarily work with Christian women. And so in the church, they've been taught to be demure. They've been taught to be quiet, to be silent. And so this ability to be assertive and to say what they mean and mean what they say is hard for them. And for kind-hearted, agreeable people, I think it is hard for us to be assertive. We think somehow it's not being nice. I'm Canadian too, so it's important for Canadians to be nice. <laughs> But we need to know how to be assertive and to speak up and to say what it is that we value and what's important to us so that our people really do know who we are. And that third C then is to create we solutions. So it's not your solution and it's not my solution, but it's how do we create this solution together that works for both of us. I like that. Oh, wow. And that's something that, I mean, in the, the framework of that, I really hear that applying in both the home and in the workplace, everything you've said, I felt it, but I feel like the other stuff we've, we've been talking about has been a lot more marriage focused. 
However, when I talk about this stuff, I usually translate it both ways because it just applies to all areas of our life. This is basic human being interaction stuff that can bless our marriages and can bless us at work as well. Yeah, man, if we're paying attention at work, there's a whole lot of transference that we can bring home, good things that we can bring home about how not to and how to communicate better. I was on a plane uh, some years ago with a woman. I'll never forget this trip. Uh, It was a short trip. Uh, But she shared with me that she was working in the justice system and I loved hearing what she was doing. And so I was asking her questions and she and she heard them that I was a life coach. And she said, you know, I had a personality assessment done. We had a workshop and it was a personality assessment. She said, I understand my daughter so much better now that I've had this personality assessment. She's exactly the opposite to me, but now we get along so much better. And then she looked at me, Chris, and she said, I think I could have saved my marriage Mm. if I had had that assessment sooner because my husband is exactly like my daughter. And my heart went out to her, but that's why I do what I do. Because I truly believe that learning skills, good hearted, kind people can miss the skills like we were and we can be better together with better skills and learning the skills to have, to have effective communication. Yeah. What I hear that woman saying to you is she acknowledged that she wasn't right and she wasn't wrong. Mm -hmm. Those personality traits that that's, that's our foundation. We can recognize where someone else is coming from. We, whether it's a Myers-Briggs, whether it's a Enneagram, I think that's what my wife did here not too long ago. Whether, yes, whether yes. we're an animal, whether we're a color, no matter what we, all just a, a way to help us understand that we're all complex human beings and we see things differently, we respond to things differently, and that's not bad. It's just different. And, and understanding that, back to what you said at yeah. the beginning, we don't know what we don't know. And once we start figuring this stuff out, it really, it gives us, it's like, It's like me driving a car and not knowing I need to put gas in it, right? Eventually, it's going to stop working. Like, I mean, I got to know that I need to put gas in it. I need to change the oil every three to 5,000 miles, right? I mean, there's these things in life that we accept we need to gain knowledge in. But then we get into relationships and we, we don't know unless someone has taught us, unless someone has demonstrated. But I really feel like for most of us, uh, even for for those of us that have parents that have worked hard and done a good job of working in the, the difficult parts of marriage, I still don't feel like we teach this stuff a lot. No, we do not teach this stuff a lot. And I think it should be curriculum for every school because communication is so vital for everything that we do. If we're going to lead in any way, and we all lead in some way, uh, if we're going to lead in any way, we need to be able to communicate with our people. And so I just think it's such a vital, essential skill for life in everything that we go to do. So let's talk about organizations. So you you also go in and do, cons- it sounds like you do consulting work for organizations. What does that look like? Mm. It can look, in, look different ways. I have a program called uh, the 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. I believe everybody should be on a personal growth plan. That's that conversation that we had in our farm truck that put me on a personal growth plan. I wasn't there before. I didn't know what I needed. And I 
started then on that plan to grow. And this 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth is just so incredible to, it's a, it's John Maxwell's program, but it's so incredible because it can be used as personal growth. We get better. We become better people. We become better employees. We become better uh, at, at the work that we're doing because so much of the work that we do is working together with other people in cooperation with other people. And so I need to be better myself. And I really, one of my values is leadership and that we lead from the inside out and that as I grow to be better inside, I am better on the outside. And so that's one of the programs that I teach in, uh, in organizations. Wow. How about for the listener that maybe heard you say a little bit ago that primarily, you know, you're going into the jails, you're, you're coaching drug addicts. How about for the listener that's like, I'm not a drug addict. That has nothing to do with me. <laughs> Every one of the programs that I teach, a, a, a drug addict is in some ways no different than I am. And that's interesting that you asked that, Chris, because when I first started going into the jail, I thought I have nothing in common with these people. I, I, I want to understand my people so that I can get into the boat with them and work with them where they are. And I thought, I have nothing in common with them. How, how am I going to reach them? How am I going to speak to them in a way that will mean anything? Because I am not about a job. I am about transformation. And I realized they're not a whole lot different than I am. They just have a problem that they're working on. Just like I have a problem I'm working on too. And so in recognizing that and realizing that the very programs that have helped me, uh, the personal growth programs, the jerk program, uh, the, the communication skills that I needed, they, that's what they need. <laughs> and that's what we all need uh, because we all need to be in healthy relationships. And the only way to be in healthy relationships is, is to have the skills for relationship and communication is the lifeblood of relationship. I really just think of, of alcohol and drug uh, addictions as being an amplifier, right? Like I may not have that amplifier in my life to where it's going to put the spotlight on this problem that I have in being an ineffective communicator, but then it's just going to be this, this slow and steady death of the relationship, right? Like without the amplifier, everything looks good. We're fine. We're fine. But like you said, we're not actually talking about what needs to be talked about. So we're not going to have that, that mature relationship, or we may even be having this diminishing relationship. And so, yeah, as you said it, I was like, at first I was like, how does that, oh, wow. That applies to all of us because you're, you're in the trenches. You're not only dealing with the failed communication, but you're also doing it with the addition of these other things they're, they're working through. I don't know. Does that make it easier though? Because of the fact that the clients you're working with realize they have a problem and, and are they more ready to receive some wisdom and coaching? In the jail, they're not because they're coming down from their drugs and alcohol, but in the home they are because they put themselves there and they're ready to do the work. And I have learned so much from them. I will ask them, so what does it mean to you to be in a healthy relationship? And they will say the most profound things, like it means everything to me. I need to surround myself with good people so that I can stay sober. And without that, I'm going to fall. 
in a big way. And I have learned so much from being able to work in the home for addicts because they're so wise. They're, they're, they're just like us. <laughs> and they're the, the drugs and they're further, further enough, further enough away from the drugs and alcohol that now their brains are starting to work. And I can actually see three months in, I can see that the brain really starts to click in and really starts to work. And it's a whole transformation then that happens as their brains start to heal, then their whole body and soul can, can, can heal too. Yeah. You mentioned soul a couple of times. You've mentioned uh, both some, some Christian authors and you've also mentioned your faith. How does that impact your life? Uh, it's another part of my values and that's God in my everything and that he's just the foundation of everything. And in fact, when we ran into marriage trouble, we had said before we got married, we're going to, if we, if we run into trouble, we're going to get the help that we need. And so for us, it wasn't an option to look at or even consider divorce. Now I don't, I'm not against or opposed to people divorcing when relationships are toxic and there's they've worked through the process and they get to a place where this, this can't go on. I, I don't think anybody should put themselves in an abusive situation, but I do think that many of us give up too soon. We give up without doing a good process. We have a process, but it's not healthy and it's not good. And it's not looking toward healing and health. And so I think that it's just vitally important to be I think it's vitally important to be in healthy relationships and to work out the process to get there. And so my faith is everything. He lights me up. Uh, he keeps me going. God is everything to me. Yeah. I appreciate you being willing to share that. Uh, do you find that uh, with with the clients you work with, are, you, are people mainly coming to you with that shared faith or or do you have folks that that's a new piece for them? I am not pushy about my faith and uh, within the home, I'm, I'm not pushy within the jail. I'm not pushy about my faith, but uh, I, people of faith are attracted to what I'm doing. So yes, uh, most, for the most part, I attract people who are interested, people who are really not happy with the way they're working in their relationships because faith is such an important component for them. And they feel like they're disappointing God and that's not something they want. And so that is one of the reasons they reach out to me for sure. And it's hard when, when you are a Christian, it's hard to it's hard for me at times i can translate some things into uh, a non-faith text there's some things i can't like when we get into ephesians 5 and if i'm trying to explain to another guy you need to love your wife so radically that you would lay down your life not just physically stand in front of her to physically protect her but you need to lay down your interest for her that makes no sense in, I think, mainline culture relationships. Well, hold on a second. No, 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 no. That I might be being vulnerable then. No, no, well, I'm just telling you. In Ephesians 5, we're supposed to, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church and ultimately laid down his life. And so, yes, I may have to physically die in her in her place, but I also may need to go, right now I need to stop being selfish. Right now I need to I need to recognize what she needs. And, and I'm responsible for doing that. And it's just a radical kind of love. 
it always was. It was radical when um, Jesus talked about it, and it still is radical. Uh, and it's radical to love someone who is your enemy or who we feel is our enemy. And I've had women say to me, my husband is my enemy. And then we talk about that because sometimes the enemy in our head is not the same as the enemy in our home, right? Like sometimes I I can say that sometimes I felt like my husband was my enemy. I was there in that place, but he really wasn't in our home. It was radical way back then when Jesus said it, and it still is radical to be able to communicate who Christ is and what he has done for me. And why I do what I do is hard to put real value to it until I can talk about my faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. I am forever grateful uh, for the change that he made in my life. And because he's like a consistent plumb line for my life and I don't know it all. I don't have it all. I and I need him to be that for me. So that I, I think that I am so fallible <laughs> and I need him. I need his correction. <laughs> yes. Every, I feel like every day, I feel like every day <laughs> I'm, I fail in some way. And I use the word fail uh, and I use it. I hear, I hear some people not wanting to use it. They want to say, well, I don't know. Is that really a failure? I use it because I used to be so afraid of failure I used to be a perfectionist, and so failure was not optional, although I was still failing, and so it made me feel horrible. And once I got comfortable with failing, not meeting the expectation of, of my own moral code, of, of my faith in Christ, of my occupation, once I got comfortable with it, and it was no longer this, this huge stressor, it really opened me up to being able to step forward with authenticity and and do things, right? I mean, every person that I've heard that have been successful at things, it's because they took a risk and they probably failed a bunch of times in the process. And they're great now because of all the lessons they learned in those failures, right? I mean, in my marriage and in everything else. The best and greatest lessons, I say, you know, some of the best changes I've seen people make have come out of a difficult past. And I can definitely say, oh, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, Chris, without the failure that we had in our marriage. I, I wouldn't be here. I was uh, I was small. I was hiding behind my husband. I was a stay at home mom. I uh, wasn't speaking up and. And it was through the failure of our marriage uh, that then we looked at each other and said, we can't keep this to ourselves. There must be other couples out there like us who they love each other, but they don't know how to love each other. They love each other, but they don't know how to fight a good fight, how to communicate well. And they're just needing the skills. So let's do something about this problem. And so that's what started us on for better forever. Well, if someone's listening yeah. and they're like, I, I need more of this, how can they benefit from what you're doing? Do you do stuff virtually? Like if someone got on your website, is is uh, are you capable of being a resource to people all around the world? Absolutely. All, most all of my work is virtual, actually. And uh, I have a free resource to share with your people and they can connect with me through that free re Is that okay, Chris? Oh, please, please share it. Okay, 
Well, we've been talking about pivotal conversations. So the resource, and I love this, it's seven quick and simple lessons to start your best pivotal conversation. So you can go from knowing, not knowing what to say to knowing exactly what it is that you want to say with these seven quick and simple lessons to start your best pivotal conversation. So you can go to four better forever. That's the numerical number for better for ever.com forward slash challenge and that really is the best way to stay in touch with me because there you can uh hook on to our seven day challenge uh with uh, our tuesday brew with ann which is our weekly communication tips and we love to send out those weekly communication tips and that's a great way to stay in touch with me you can reach me through my email at ann at forbetterforever.com Awesome. And for the listeners, look down in the show notes. There'll be links for the website down there. And I got to be transparent here. I, I know I already said it earlier in the podcast about my wife and I having what we like to call an intense moment of fellowship last night and me failing. I failed at at listening and showing her empathy. The things that I teach, the things that I do at work for folks in mental health crisis and I couldn't bring it for my wife last night. And so I'm excited to check out these seven tips. I'm excited. Before my wife went to work, I was like, babe, give me another chance. Let me, I know I can be a good listener. I know I can do this. And uh, so the work goes on uh, in, in my marriage, in your marriage, it sounds like, and in all of our relationships. I just, I really, I feel like this was a, a God-ordained podcast this morning I got a lot of benefit out of it, and I really appreciate you being willing to do the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Kristen. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and uh, I look forward to meeting Jamie in the future. And it's been a, a just a real privilege to be here on the Gravity Podcast. So thank you for, for inviting me to be here today. You're welcome. Have a great day. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, constantly blown away by this privilege, this opportunity for me to sit down with remarkable people and to hear their story. It's constantly holding me accountable in my life of things that I need to be doing to to invest in relationships, to invest in my physical and mental health. Uh, I hope you are getting as much value out of this as I am. Hey folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. How are we doing here on the podcast? There's a few different ways for you to communicate back to us. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform or YouTube channel that you're consuming this on. Uh, If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you can rate and review us. That will increase our viewability on those platforms. There's five stars waiting on the main page. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating if, if we've earned five stars, folks. If we haven't earned five stars, keep your stars. Maybe instead shoot us an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let Jamie and I know how to make it better, future Marriage Monday topics, or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe. Take care of each other. God bless.